elementary uh, classroom event, and the teacher said, I want you to all do an assignment for me uh, for Easter. I want you to take this plastic egg, and we all have the plastic eggs, right? We're familiar with those, and sometimes those are hunted, and they put little treats in them or dollar bills, those kinds of things, and you go do the Easter egg hunt. And she said, I want you over this weekend to go and grab something that represents life. What represents life in spring? And so the kids did that, and they came back, and uh, each kid sort of handed in their eggs. And as they handed in their eggs, she opened them up, and she would find a different kind of example from these uh, kids representing what life meant. And she would open one egg, and in that egg would be some type of little green plant kind of thing, and another was you know, maybe a a butterfly or something. And uh, there was the representation of life. And so she took one egg at a time, and then she got one egg, and each had their name on, and each kid would explain what they uh, thought about that. And then she grabbed this one egg, and she opened it up, and it was empty. And so she felt bad because she knew it was this special needs uh, egg, uh, uh, boy's uh, egg. And so she explained, like, well, I'm sorry, maybe he didn't think in her mind that he didn't understand the assignment. And so, not to embarrass him, she just moved it on to the side to go to the next one. And and he raises his hand from the back and says, well, teacher, aren't you going to let me explain what that egg is? And she goes, yes, okay. And so he says, it represents the tomb being empty and Jesus came alive. And that's the greatest hope that we have. Of course, everybody does, which is, oh, how But this is my question to you. Has the empty grave become so commonplace with you, maybe the whole celebration of Easter, that it doesn't resonate within your very being what it means for you to have the hope of Jesus being raised from the grave? We just have heads down. We're chucking away one week to the next to the next. Oh, yeah, wow, Easter came early this week. Got to get that deal done. Got the Easter egg baskets. We got dressed up. We're good to go. We're going to go out and eat those kinds of things. On to my work week the next week and then the next next. But we fail to live in the presence of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And maybe we need to get an innocence of heart like a child like that. This is what listen. This is the greatest sign of life in the spring and hope possible. The empty grave. If you're to look into the grave, and this is a famous painting, that there is nothing there. There is no body. There is only the grave cloth. Because Jesus is not there. Had the opportunity last night to go uh, with my family. We all went up to Azusa Pacific University and uh, a large church up there, Christ Church of the Valley, was hosting their Easter uh, weekend services. And they invited in a special guest speaker, Ravi Zacharias, who uh, was a professor and mentor of mine. It was great to hear Ravi and all that's going on. Ravi told a couple jokes. One of the jokes was that uh, Pilate once asked Joseph Armar Mathia, who gave up his tomb for Jesus to be buried in, he said, he says, well, you know, that was a pretty expensive tomb for you all uh, to give up to let, you know, Jesus's body be placed in. You know, didn't you think about it? you might want to really have that for your own family down the road, those kinds of things. And Armathia looked at Pilate and said, well, no, it wasn't a problem at all. It was only for the weekend. <laughs> the grave's empty. 
It was only for the weekend that he was in there. He's come alive. And that needs to resonate in our life over and over again every week. In fact, why do we worship on Sunday? Do you know why? Because we worship the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. Not the first day of the week, but because of the excitement of the tomb. We moved it to the first day of the week. And I trust this morning whether uh, the truth of the resurrection is something that's very familiar to you or you come in here even this morning as a skeptic wondering, my goodness, is, is that really something you can actually believe in as a human being? That you will listen and attune yourself to the scripture we're about to read in a second and discover afresh and anew that indeed Jesus is alive and that indeed you can have hope for today. Some of you might be familiar with uh, the satire uh, media site Onion. Ran uh, a story recently called World Death Rate Holding Steady at 100%. World Health Organization officials expressed disappointment Monday at the group's finding that despite the enormous efforts of doctors, rescue workers, and other medical professionals worldwide, the global death rate remains constant at 100%. Death, a metabolic affliction causing total shutdown of all life functions, has long been considered humanity's number one health concern. Responsible for 100% of all recorded fatalities worldwide, the condition has no cure. I was really hoping what was all, with all those new radiology treatments, rescue helicopters, aerobic TV shows, and what have you, that we might at least have a dent in it this year, who Director General Dr. Gernst Blate said. Unfortunately, it would appear that the death rate remains constant in total, and it has involuntarily has been that way since the dawn of time. I love the new song that the worship team did today. You do. You walk through a graveyard, so-and-so arrested on this day. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's now the other way around. Death itself was arrested And though it's 100% that we will all die unless Jesus comes back before then, 100% that we will all die, that's not the end. And that should radically redefine your life and mine. Do you know what a worldview is? In fact, when we step into the series that we're going to be looking at beginning next week on uh, life's big questions of origin, meaning, uh, morality, and destiny, I just have the simple statement that your worldview makes a world of difference and everyday life. Your worldview is what you see through, the lenses you see through. These are my glasses. If my glasses are not on, I can do pretty good. You guys aren't blurry here. It's more up close for me. But the words would be blurry here, but I put my glasses on and I can clearly see. Now, if I put sunglasses on, you'd all look a little bit darker in this room, right? But each of us have a pair of lenses that we view life through. And that pair of lenses, our worldview, will make a world of difference in everyday life and how we encounter obstacles, how we step up to the plate and enjoy life itself. And we need to understand that the resurrection has radically altered a worldview. Though 100% death is guaranteed, that's not the end. That's not the end. I mentioned recently that uh, I watched the funeral service for Nancy Reagan. And in Nancy Reagan's funeral service, uh, their son, Ron, and Nancy Reagan's son, Ron Reagan, 
stood up to give the eulogy in sort of a touching, difficult kind of moment, you know, there, just uh, up here, the ways in California. And uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, Ron Reagan, the son, he's an atheist. And it's sort of hard to walk that kind of line at a funeral service. A known atheist. And he stood up and he said this, quote, he said, in her later years, referring to his mom, Nancy, after my father had gone, she used to ask me whether I thought she would be with him again when she died. I'm not a believer in the supernatural, but I always assured her that wherever dad had gone, she was surely going to go there too. We should all be so lucky as to end up where we've always wanted to be. Now, sort of a muddled kind of statement there, isn't it? It's hard for an atheist to not believe in God at a funeral. Because is that it? Are we done? Does death arrest me? Is that it? 100%? Gone? Done. No. No, the scriptures teach us different. And if scripture teaches us different, then the worldview that there is more to life than just the physical life that we're given here and that, that we physically will be raised from the grave if we're a follower of Christ and live forever in God's eternal kingdom. If that is true, if that's what our future is, it should radically redefine how we're living today. Have you ever had those situations in life where you've said to yourself, I wish I knew then what I know now. If I had, I would have Fill in the blank. You been there? If I had known how important an education was or how important that kind of a degree was, I would have done something different, right? If I had known how important certain kind of things to look for in a relationship were necessary, I would have... I had one of those this week. I had a piece of property that I knew about that I'd actually helped purchase a number of years ago. And that piece of property I could have easily purchased, but I purchased it and put it in someone else's name. I was actually working with a church, and the church didn't necessarily want it. We could have had the piece of property. The church still could have done what they want because this piece of property was right beside, right behind my houses. In fact, houses I still own in um, Indiana when we moved here two years ago. And uh, this week I found out that uh, they're continuing to look at selling that piece of property that I bought and put in the church's name that I could have easily had. Guess what? I would be a $2 million person today if I'd bought in that just 20 years ago. Now, praise be to God, the church can be blessed with that. It's going to help them finish paying off some of their facility, those kinds of things. But, you know, you sit there and you go, well, if I had known then, what I know now? How do you feel that in? But here, I want to tell you something today. You are in the now, in the then, okay? This now moment is the then. You are going to have a future day when you're going to drop your jaw because you are physically going to see Jesus. Scriptures say that every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. The Jesus Christ we celebrate today was raised from the grave, ascended into the heavens, and that Jesus we will all be standing before someday. And the accountability of our life, and why should I allow you to enter into my eternal perfect kingdom, and and so on and so forth. But listen, that moment's coming. And I want you to know that there might be a chance you might have some regret on that day with folded arms and go, whoa. I wish I would have known that. What I know now. Jesus is alive. Death 
has been arrested, those 70, 80 years I tried to pump everything into, that was just the start. So, with putting the worldview lens on, that death is not the end. How would you realter your life? How would you rediscover hope in your everyday in light of that fact of a tomb that's empty with only grave claws in it? I want us to look at Luke chapter 24. Now, here's my challenge on something like this today. I want to read the whole passage. But if I read the whole passage, some of you are going to zone out on me. Because that's what happens when people read sometimes. You hang with me and I'll see if I read the whole passage or not. How's that? Test me. I'll test you. All right? Luke 24. Last week we were Palm Sunday. We talked about Jesus riding into the middle of a perfect storm, riding on that donkey into the winds of uh, a cold, hard Roman world, the uh, nationalism of Jewish people expecting a uh, physical uh, king that was going to reign as a political leader, and then God himself being unpredictable. It was the... uh, Perfect storm. That came from Luke 19. If you're here for Good Friday service, we looked at the chapter concerning Jesus' death, which was in Luke 23. I want to look at Luke 24 this morning because it's Easter Sunday morning. It says this in Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the the women took their spices that they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down in their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Hey, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful men, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. That's the reading of the Word of God, Luke 24. He is not here. He is risen. A clear, declarative statement. We have that because God has preserved through us through the years the recorded word. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are stories of the good news. They're witness reports. And here's the first section of Matthew 24. The second section of Matthew 24 deals with Jesus appearing to the two men that were walking on a road to Emmaus. And as he's walking on this road behind these two men, they're discussing among themselves how terrible the weekend events were. All their hopes were crushed because the Messiah, Jesus, who they thought was going to lead them into freedom, was crucified and killed. So they were 
downhearted. They were dejected. Oh, my. And Jesus comes up along them. If you don't think Jesus has humor, you just got to read the story of the two men walking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus says, what's, what's, what's hanging, guys? What's happening? Why are you all so blue? Why are you down? Oh, man, haven't you heard? Where you been? We just come from Jerusalem and all these events happened and, and it's over. It's done. And so Jesus began to talk to them. And in this section, he began to explain to them some things. And they said, wow, that's, that's interesting. He said, why don't, you come, why don't you come eat at our house? And so they came in for a meal. And as they were breaking the bread, all of a sudden the scales of their eyes, if you will, fell away. And they realized this man was the resurrected Jesus. Following that story in Luke 24, then verse 36 says this, Jesus appears to the disciples. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do, you, why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of the prophets of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance, forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then the last part. The last three verses, four verses of Luke 24 is the ascension. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into the heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. In this incredibly gifted passage given to us of the resurrection of Luke 24, you have four sections. I could go through each of those four sections. I want, I want to frame up some themes that have been described from these sections um, by an anti, uh, a scholar by the name of in, by, uh, um, a scholar named uh, Tim Keller. And in these, I want you to see these themes and see how this quickens your heart to the reality of the worldview that you need to have. That this life is only the beginning. The resurrection promises much, much more. In these passages, you could easily describe them um, in different ways. You have uh, the tomb. You have the walk. You have the room, and then you have the mount. So visibly four different places that are happening. 
And the first has to do with the women and them coming to the tomb. And there's a way that it's written that you need to be keen to. Because the reality is this, is that the resurrection is a shattering historical event. If you were to go to um, liberal religious institutions today, they would teach you that the resurrection was not literal. In other words, it wasn't a physical event that happened. They would say something like this to you, and maybe you personally believe this this morning, and so I just sort of challenge you with this, is that, well, Jesus really didn't rise from the dead. But, you know, it's like when you love someone and you care for them, and then after they die, you sort of say something like, well, their presence is here with us, or the experience of that person remains with me. And so sometimes it's rationalized away, the physical aspect of the resurrection, that Jesus, he didn't physically rise from the dead, but the experience of him was raised to life with the disciples. And then the disciples began to tell other people and encourage other people concerning the life that Jesus lived, past tense. An example would be that uh, Peter, we all know that Peter really messed up on the night of the cross, right? He denied Jesus three times. And so a deep sense of guilt and a need for forgiveness. And so the story in John 21 where Jesus comes to Peter and he forgives him is like that's Peter just sort of writing this kind of story that the experience of Jesus in my life, he would have forgiven me for. Or as one scholar said, you know, that the Emmaus did not happen. In other words, the idea that Jesus would have come and that he would have been with uh, people talking about his life doesn't happen. Emmaus did not happen, but Emmaus happens every day. In other words, that his presence is with us. But here's the reality. Jesus did not appear to them as a ghost, as a memory As a fond endearment, he appeared to them in physical form. That's why you have in these passages Jesus saying, here's my hands, here's my side, give me something to eat. Now, why would you include those things in the story? Give me something to eat. Hmm, Let's see what we can pull, extrapolate from that. Jesus meant, he really was dead, but he said, give me something to eat. We're going to tell that story, and that means that No, it's not there. The reason those things are recorded in Luke 24 is to show that it was an actual historical event that sort of blew the roof off of things at that time. We've heard the story, but a resurrection idea then was nonsense. Was nonsense. In fact, it was extremely, extremely inconvenient. To preach the resurrection... In those early days with those disciples, it was, it was a cold, bare, irritating, paradigm-shattering, worldview-alterating, incredibly inconvenient, but yet totally impossible to dismiss kind of fact. They didn't want to preach a resurrection. But there he was. Jesus from the dead. It's a fact. And facts are hard to move. Here's the fact. I wish that Indiana, the Hoosiers, were playing in an Elite Eight game this afternoon. 
But the North Carolina Tar Heels tarred them very well with crazy shooting the other day. So my Hoosiers are not in a basketball game I can watch today. That is a fact. I cannot get away from that fact. Well, here's the fact of Scripture. You can't get away from the fact that Jesus Christ was rose from the dead. And they could not either. And that's why it's described here in many different kinds of ways, giving um, reference to things. Why were the names given? There was the names of Joanna and, and Mary uh, related to James and Mary Magdalene. And in the Road to Emmaus passage talks about Cleopas being one of the names. Why are the names mentioned? It's almost like footnotes saying, hey, psst, psst. If you really want to get confirmation on this, go talk to these people. Go talk to them. That's how the account is laid out. There's different ways you can always go with this, but I'll just mention here three real quick. The first is the fact that it was the women that showed up at the tomb. In that day and age, women were seen of a lower class. In fact, they were not even given the opportunity or credibility to give witness in a court. If that was the case then, then why would you write a story about the women being the first ones that appeared at the tomb? That just would not make any sense at all. The whole fact of it being in an eyewitness kind of style. People who write legends and big stories and myths like that, they sort of operate like an omniscient narrator. Someone who can stand back and see. But you get all these little bits and pieces from Luke 24 and other passages where you're trying to piece it together, it's as if, and this is true of eyewitness accounts, the person is there in the scene and they're seeing it for themselves from their own particular angle and they're turning and telling someone else, this is what I saw. I saw his hands. I saw the side. The style in which it's written is not rich and written in some type of um, legendary kind of aspect. And they're probably one of the strongest I think this is true the more I think about it and I delve into it, is the fact that they worshipped Jesus. It said that in the ascension part, right? They worshipped him. you got to understand, the Jews would never worship a man. Never. Now, they had their history. They got that corrected. They worshipped the one true God, Yahweh. In fact, so holy was God's name that they couldn't even say his name. And they would write G-D because you wouldn't touch God. You, you wouldn't touch God. That's sacred holiness. But here it says they went from here to there so quickly worshiping Jesus. Then they must have acknowledged that the resurrection happened and that Jesus himself was God raised from the grave and they worshiped him. The shattering historical fact that moves upon us today the apostle paul he was named saul he was offended by christianity he was offended by the gospel he was offended that there was teaching that the temple was no longer necessary here he was this high religious holy figure but then god appeared to paul it says that i was one abnormally born you know what that means? That means like Paul was drug out of a womb again to come to belief in Jesus because he could not deal with any. Here is the fact. The fact is Jesus appeared to me on the road to Damascus. I was blinded for three days. His life was changed. He could not get by that fact. 
Now, I want to say this just briefly, and we'll move on in a second. Today, and maybe you're in this camp this morning, Christianity offends people. It does. In fact, a lot of times we, as people, get all hung up on different things that the the Scriptures offend us by. Sometimes we're offended by what it says about money. Sometimes we're offended by what it says about sex. We're, we're offended by how the Bible lays out certain teachings in our progressive modern day and age. And so some people will say, well, I could never become a Christian because, well, that's just offensive to me. Or that's so narrow-minded. Well, here's my question to you. This is a good question. I heard it stated this way. I like it. Because you are offended by Christianity, does that mean that you're not willing to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave? If you're offended by Christianity, does that make you not able to believe that Jesus Christ rose? Well, no. Well, I don't want to say that. I I, I don't know. I just just get tired of all the teachings and the people and the examples I see in culture and, and even politics and stuff like that. I just, I don't want to be a part of that. Okay, time out, time out, time out. Let's set aside the ethical teachings of Scripture just for a little bit. And let's look at the reality of the resurrection. Because the reality of the resurrection, here's the deal. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, then all the other stuff, I don't know why you're sweating it. Just forget it. Don't worry about it. But if Jesus did rise from the grave, then you're going to have to deal with all the scriptures somehow, eventually. But the key point is not to worry about all that. You've got to deal with the resurrection because the resurrection changes everything. It was a shattering historical event. And they were bothered by it, but they could not ignore it. Secondly is this. You see through Luke 24, the resurrection is the key to unlocking all of Scripture. It's the key to unlocking all of Scripture. Now, isn't it interesting that uh, when he, the angel appeared to the women, the angel said, remember what he said. He told you the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified on the third day and be raised from the dead. And then they remembered his words. So also then on the road to Emmaus, our chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was going to redeem Israel. He was crucified and we thought he was going to be the Messiah. And then Jesus turns around to them, disguise, right? And says, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. The resurrection begins to unlock all of scripture. A lot could be discussed here and gone into depth about it. But if you're having trouble maybe understanding the scripture or the big story, you need to know what the end is. The end is Christ comes out of the grave. He lives forever. He ascends to the heaven. He says he's coming back. There is a bigger epic story. And then you go back and you start to understand things of the Old Testament that are confusing, that are pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus, so on and so forth. The resurrection is the key, along with the cross and the crucifixion that unlocks all of Scripture. A third thing is this. The resurrection is a powerful message of hope. 
for life today, a powerful message of hope for life today. The resurrection gives you hope for the future, a future that is there. It is personal. It is certain and it is unimaginably wonderful. That is true. You know, the Greek philosophers and people today even think that when you die, sometimes that's just sort of eh, that's it. You just cease to exist. Annihilation, maybe, is the word that some people use. You just cease to exist. But the reality is the resurrection, it is there. It is there. It's not like hiding in the shadows or doing something else. It is certain. It's a number one certain ability that is there and that it is also personal. That is personal. You know, a lot of times you think, well, what, what would be like on the other side? And, and some people are more uh, in the realm maybe of Stoics and, and they think, you know, like Eastern philosophers and, you know, you die and you sort of just absorb back into the ambiance of the world like fertilizer, you know, sort of like the Lion King things going on. And so, um, you know, you can believe that, I guess. But the resurrection is personal. There is no a deeper desire in the human heart, they say outside of the Holy Spirit, than to be loved. You desire to be loved. Have you lost a loved one? You are at loss because you've lost someone who loves you and you have loved them. It's a deep, deep part of how we're made as human beings. Well, here's the good news. Heaven, on the personal level, Jesus Christ came back in bodily form. They were elated. Because the one who loved them and the one whom they loved was in their midst. They were going to continue on with life with him. And then Jesus promised what? That his resurrection was the first fruits of their resurrection to come. That's stated in scripture. In fact, Jesus was raised from the grave on Easter Sunday. And the Sunday after Passover week began was called first fruits festival or a celebration for the Jewish people. And so here Jesus was raised from the grave on the very day that they were to celebrate first fruits. So his resurrection was the first fruits of their resurrection. There would be a unity that would go on through all of time. Death was arrested and my life began. And my life began not just for the 70, 80, 90 years of God so blessed. My life began forever and ever and ever and ever. You ever looked into those mirrors that are all matched up beside you? You're looking in, there's mirrors behind, and you keep looking and looking and looking and looking, and you can't see where your image ends. Jesus, first fruits, your resurrection. It's a personal one, and you will be able to live in his presence, and you will be able to live in the presence of loved ones who have known Christ and gone on forever. It's certain. There's no question about it. It is a fact will happen. What Jesus did on the cross and rose from the grave, he paid it all. Yes, he paid it all. It's done. It's sealed. And if you receive him into your life, then you have that hope. If you don't, if you don't take what Jesus did in paying for your sins and being raised from the grave to break the power of sin and give you eternal life, then you don't have that hope as it relates to this powerful message. You know, if somebody has served a jail sentence, maybe they're given 10 years. Hey, you're given 10 years. You go serve your time. They serve their time. They come out of jail. They are given a stamp of freedom, right? They have paid their time. They don't have to go back and serve that time again for that crime. It's been paid for. It's certain. It's done. So also, if you're uh, in a store 
And maybe you buy something and, and you get the receipt and you put it in your bag and you think, oh, I want to keep shopping. So you go back shopping a little bit. And it's one of those, you know, uh, plain clothes security people walk up to you and they start to be a little suspicious about what you're doing. What do you do? You reach in your bag, you pull out your receipt and you show that uh, uh, plain clothes, clothes security person, here is my receipt. I have paid for that item. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is your paid receipt that you will not be condemned because of your sin, but that you will live a full life today and eternity. Do you have your receipt this morning? Do you have your receipt? Or are you just sort of wishing and hoping, oh, I hope things sort of turn out right? Been pretty good. I went to church again on Easter. Man, I'm glad you're here. But the church thing doesn't do anything for your eternity. You have to receive that which Jesus was the first fruits of. And the way that you receive hope through the resurrection is by receiving him into your life. And then fourthly, I just want to say this resurrection was the vindication of Jesus as the true king. The vindication of Jesus as the true king. We don't like to think in terms of kings. In fact, a British Episcopal minister by the name of John Guest, he was here for many years. I remember listening to him speak once, and I thought, yeah, the guy's really good. And I used to track a little bit with uh, some of his uh, tape recordings back in older days. And uh, when he came here, he went to Philadelphia and he visited, I think it was a Revolutionary War Museum. And uh, when he came out of the museum, um, or when he was in there, he was looking around, and one of the things he noticed was a big sign that had been put on some tavern in Philadelphia during the Revolution. In big words, here's what it said. We serve no sovereign here. And he realized he was in a new country. See, you come from Britain and some other places, or even in Asia, they understand king and serving. But America was born on what? We serve no sovereign here. Me and my way. That's what rules the day. And you see, you know, there's nothing wrong with freedom. But the reality is all of us end up serving some sovereign. Some of you are serving the sovereign of your career. Someone here maybe is serving the sovereign of a love relationship you're pursuing and hoping that that's going to solve everything. We end up as human beings seeking out someone to follow we end up becoming subservient because we're made to worship. We're made to worship a king. And on that cross, the Jesus died. The sign was put on top, king of kings. No, it was put king of the Jews. But Jesus was the king of kings. So in these aspects, these four, we pull from Luke 24 some incredibly encouraging truth for what should radically change the direction and course of our life. Your worldview makes a world of difference in everyday life. If you know that you have the promise of the resurrection, then your life will be altered. I wish I knew then what I know now. Three verses, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do some reflection. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. As the worship team comes, these are my three passages I want us to look at. First is John 
11.25, these are words of Jesus. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus died again, of course. But when he raised Lazarus from the grave, he turned and he asked Martha, who was there, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And with that, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus began speaking about the hope of the resurrection through what he did in his life. But nobody would have thought Jesus himself would have been raised from the dead. But he was. And it's in the resurrection that we have the hope that even though we would die, we will live with him. And then Romans 10:9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Apostle Paul, the one who was really offended by Christianity, so much so that he was killing Christians. Don't want to go there. But God grabbed a hold of his life. And then he went and grabbed a hold of other people's lives with this message. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then John 1.12, the early part of Jesus' ministry, it was proclaimed. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. team's going to sing a song during this song I just want you to reflect because I know not where each of us are at this morning sometimes even as longtime churchgoers only the Lord knows our heart have you come to place your faith in Jesus Christ have you confessed with your mouth believed in your heart not only the resurrection but that Jesus Christ is Lord he is the true king if you have then this is truly another day of celebration because you're on the winning side. But if you've never personally taken a moment to surrender your life to invite Christ to come in, to as many who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You can be born again, Scripture teaches, as a child of God by a simple turning of your life in repentance from the direction you were, the indifference you are, and moving in a direction towards God. A decisive moment in time, but for some people it's a season of life. Understand that. But we're giving you a moment in time here today. Would you consider receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the King of Kings, the one who was raised from the grave, the first fruits of your future hope of your resurrection? Listen to this song, and then I'm going to invite you to pray if that's what you want to do when we're done.